Hi, I'm Kat Refa and you are listening to Deep Field. Today's episode is called If It Bleeds, It Reads. It's also available on the Substack, which usually includes some more graphs, charts, and imagery to go along with what I'm talking about. It's available at deepfield.substack.com and you can subscribe for free um, to keep receiving Deep Field articles in your inbox uh, once a month. So today's article is about Twitter. I actually wrote it about two weeks ago because I was trying to, I guess, dissect how Twitter has influenced the way that we as a collective audience around the world are more desensitized to seeing really traumatic events unfold um, in real time in a 24-hour cycle. And so I took a look at that and I always intended it to be uploaded this week, but it's become more timely now because uh, obviously Meta has just released the Threads app, which is, we can be honest about it, it's a knockoff of Twitter. It's exactly the same thing, except obviously the algorithm is powered differently and it's ingested all your Instagram friends into your Threads graph or social graph. and don't know, hard to say if people on Instagram, well, that rose in popularity on Instagram because of their aesthetics and their ability to take a really well-lit selfie, actually have the pros to say witty things on threads. Um, time will tell. It's early days. I've downloaded it twice now. The first time I downloaded it, I just didn't get it. And I that's on me. Um, but there was a lot of people on it and a lot of people in the media industry in particular, just trying to figure out what it was and try to be the first people on there. Um, so I deleted it. I downloaded it again this morning because I was listening to the pivot podcast and they were talking about how they actually think it's quite good. So it's like, Oh, maybe I've missed something here. Um, I still don't get it. (laughs) I still just think it's Twitter, but the algorithm is not as good because it's still early days. I'll probably keep it, I'm looking at getting a burner phone, so I'll probably put it on that. But at the moment, I just like don't really see what value it adds to my current collection of media consumption platforms. And I've just said that and I realize how much of a media wanker I sound right now, my media consumption platforms. Um, but if you know me, you know I'm very curated in what I will look at, what apps I will use. Um, I'm very... I guess, critical on algorithms and I try and make sure I haven't like got a hardcore recommendation algorithm running on me um, just because I want to be able to make sure that I have a very broad spectrum of information coming my way. Um, So yeah, threads might sit on the burner phone and I'll probably just use it for research purposes purposes when I'm doing strategy. But at the moment, I just like really don't find the day-to-day value. And uh, that's my hot take on it. The other thing you may have noticed is that there is no introduction music on this episode of Deep Field. Um, Another cliche thing to say, but it's true, uh, my dog Tony Ferguson actually ate the charging cord of my Apple MacBook and at the moment we're in hardcore savings mode in my household for a couple of things and the $110 cord that I need for the MacBook that I was going to sell anyway because it's 13 years old is just not cutting it at the moment. It's not making it on the list. So I'm using a different computer 
and I'm literally recording this through the record functionality in Substack. So I hope um, none of you missed the banging song at the start. It might come back when I, if I ever get um, a new MacBook, but for now, um, yeah, you'll just have my voice for this episode and I'm terribly sorry about that. <laughs> um, so let's begin with the article. If it bleeds, it reads. Uh, it's basically how Charlie Sheen's Twitter meltdown sort of paved the way for unapologetic voices and our desensitization to watching tra- traumatic events happen in 24-hour real time. So Charlie Sheen's Tiger Blood transformed Twitter and the wild ride began. So Charlie Sheen lost his blue chick on Twitter earlier in the year. He was part of Elon Musk's platform reform where ticks were removed from users that weren't subscribed to that shitty Twitter blue subscription model. Beyonce lost her blue tick. Blackpink lost their blue tick as well. And for a little while, Abel Tesfaye, who's also called The Weeknd, but he's going by his actual name now. Um, I also heard The Idol is absolute trash, but I'm keen to watch it. Um, he copped a gold one. So Sheen asked for his blue tick back and after a few hours he had it returned. But the jury is out on whether he started paying for it or if Elon actually granted his wish. So the tweet that Charlie Sheen wrote was, Dear at Elon Musk, I'm sorry your fancy rocket exploded in spectacular fashion. I'm certain you'll build an even bigger and more explodey one. Now may I have my blue check back? It would mean a lot to me. Thank you in advance. Sincerely, C. Sheen. So Sheen's grovel for the return of his verification just shouldn't have happened. The guy essentially created what Twitter is today when in 2011, tweet by tweet, he let the world into his drug-fueled week-long bender after being fired from Two and a Half Men, which at the time was the biggest TV show around. I think it had, yeah, just millions of viewers worldwide. Um and was, yeah, quite big. I thought it was kind of funny. Um, and I also love the guy. I forgot his name. I think his name's John. The guy, Ducky, Ducky from Pretty Pink. He was in it and it's always good to see Ducky doing something else with his life instead of being um, a bit of an incel. Anyway, um, one of the kinds of things that I'm talking about where I say that um, Charlie Sheen went on a Twitter rant in 2011, tweet by tweet, on his meltdown. Uh, one of the things he posted was um, he started this beef with Ashton Kutcher on Twitter. Ashton Kutcher used to be prolific on Twitter back in the day, but um, Charlie Sheen started to have some beef with him um, and he wrote, but newsflash, dude, D-O-O-D, you ever tell me to shut the fuck up ever again, ever in capitals, and I'll put you on a hospital food diet for a year. C. Hashtag, you feel me, junior. Another tweet, um, he had um, Roger Ebert, who is a highly respected film critic in the US. He tweeted, I could get a million followers like Charlie Sheen did, but my wife would leave me and I'd be a poor, lonely sap like he is. Charlie Sheen saw this and replied, at Roger Ebert, yeah, you really don't know how, you really don't know lonely till you've gone to town on five chicks at once. Hashtag still, hashtag winning, hashtag plan better. So Charlie Sheen was just unabashedly just calling people out, not taking shit from anyone, um, and he was using Twitter as this vehicle to basically stand up for himself. 
So um, sick of the press and the paparazzi telling his story for the worse, it's worth mentioning that at this time Charlie Sheen had been kicked off or fired from Two and a Half Men because he had this railroad of an interview um, on CBS or CNN or something like that where he basically said that his blood is actually tiger blood. Um, He started talking about how rehab is for the other word, for female genitalia, um, he was like, I don't need to go to rehab. Yes, I have an alcoholic. Yes, I love drugs. It's, it's a wild interview. I've actually linked it in the article, but it's about 15 minutes. If you want to watch it, um, you really just see a man that needs rehab. Um, anyway, so sick of the press and paparazzi telling his story for the worse, Shane's management wanted Charlie to take ownership of it and tell it himself. It was a good way to stop a worsening situation and so they hired this company called Adley to help Shane bypass the media and talk to the world directly. And then we were all on it. A drug, it's called Charlie Shane. So in that that interview that I mentioned earlier, he actually was like, yes, I do drugs, I do cocaine, I do all these things and I do a drug and it's called Charlie Sheen. And he's in a very manic state at that point but that became kind of a catch cry um, in that period of time. So the man embodied the essence of Twitter broetry and his management recognized it. The platform's 280 character limit at the time not only compelled users to share clever remarks more frequently, but its algorithm also prioritized and highlighted quips that evoke strong reactions, which is pretty much every social media algorithm um, since the dawn of time. It wasn't sufficient to write a simple sentence on Twitter. It had to leave readers breathless with shock, but not the kind of shock that repulses and makes you want to put your phone away. It was the kind of shock that repulses yet compels you to share and snicker about it with others. The kind of shock that disgusted you because deep down you actually believed it and you wanted to conceal that part of yourself. Drugs, misogyny and rock and roll. Charlie Sheen became endemic to the platform and embedded in its personality, which is a quote from the outline. Charlie Sheen became the hype cycle in Australia even from January to May of 2011, which was when he was like full blown into this rant and it really peaked in February to March. So if you thought that we in Australia um, were immune to celebrity spirals from the US, then these numbers, and even I can tell you that I'm really sorry to tell you this, but you need to lower your expectations of us. Globally, um, he gained 1 million followers in 48 hours at the start of his Twitter takeover. Sheen arguably pioneered the side of Twitter that centred around using anger and shock as a form of entertainment. At the same time, on the other side of Twitter, the Occupy movement and the Arab Spring were using anger to cause a social uprising. The Occupy movement and the Arab Spring in particular were the two reasons I actually decided, okay, I'm going to work in social media. Um, What I do now is a very far cry from those two things, but at the time, like being able to galvanise such revolutionary movements um, through text-based communication on social media um, was really inspiring. Um, So, yeah, anyway, sideline. But they were used to cause a social uprising. And But guess what side of Twitter gets more hits? The Charlie Sheen side. So we can think of like Trump's uprising in 2016 that happened via Twitter. That was very much powered by um, an anger... like an anger-triggered algorithm. And Fox News actually had concerns when Biden won because um, viewership would drop 
because there wasn't a lot of, um, I guess, angry, hard-hitting one-liners um, that they could use as new headlines now that Trump was off Twitter and he wasn't in the spotlight anymore. So um, when words drip blood is the next section. So if the, the phrase, if it bleeds, it reads. I read that somewhere recently and I can say it's probably the most honest sentence I've actually read in a while. Basically, stories involving violence, conflict or death tend to attract heightened interest from readers. This observation holds true not only for news empires, but also for social media platforms whose algorithms are designed to show users content that aligns with their interests. There is a reason that this type of content ranks on the feed. People just love to see that shit. But now let's draw a parallel, because I can, the Titan and the Messenia. The missing Titan sub and its four passengers on a deep sea expedition to view the Titanic happened at the same time that the Messenia ship, which was smuggling over 600 migrants, capsized near the coast of Greece. 500 people have still not been found from that ship. The sub story was far more popular, especially here in Australia. So I've included some Google Trends data in the Substack article um, with a chart, and it basically shows that around that time, there's a huge spike in the um, stories about the submarine and a huge spike that um, coincides with that with our searches for the Titanic. And then when we look at the Greek migrant boat search terms, uh, there's tiny peaks when it happened, but while the um, sub sort of thing was happening, it just flatlines. Nobody gives a shit about the migrant boat. Everyone just cares about the four people that have probably died in the submarine. So what this tells us is that there might be some nuance to the fact if it bleeds, it reads. It's either that we sadly don't find migrant boat disasters that shocking anymore, which is not hard to see considering that 27,000 migrants have died at sea in the Mediterranean alone in the last decade, or that our always loyal friend class, which I love to talk about, has reared its head. I'm sure it's a little from column A and it's a little bit from column B and a little bit from column C where the capital C stands for colonial mentality. Migrant boats sink all the time. The Titanic only sank once and the Titan sub only sank once. Let us have this moment is just what I'm sort of seeing from that really sad Google Trends chart. 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 <laughs> um, and newspapers or well, news empires don't set the agenda of conversation alone anymore. We the people tell them what we want with our clicks and our likes. By engaging with shocking and negative content, we signal to news outlets and social media platforms what we want to see and discuss. Twitter disrupted the traditional news cycle by enabling individuals to share news directly. Charlie Sheen's tweets became news stories themselves, challenging traditional media's control over narratives. They could no longer break something shocking about Sheen when he was doing it himself. News empires thrive when individuals fail to take control of their own narrative. It's a dilemma. We either allow others to misrepresent the story or embrace the demanding world of constant social media presence and tell it yourself. We are addicted to the stream of information, regardless of its source, as long as it keeps flowing steadily. 
When individuals seize control of their narrative, bypassing traditional media channels and communicating directly with their audience, it undermines the centralised power of information. We are actually starting to see this played out on TikTok for Australian politics. So g'day, um, Bob, Ch- Bob Catter has actually entered the chat now. So Bob Catter is using TikTok to make his voice heard. Despite being portrayed by the mainstream media as lacking the credentials deemed necessary for political influence, Catter challenges the notion that only individuals from elite backgrounds should have a say in shaping the country's future. Catter has embraced TikTok to redefine his identity and clearly communicate what he is fighting for, and it appears to be working. Since joining TikTok in 2019, his favourability among Australian voters increased by 10 points in 2022. I've included um, a clip from Cutter's TikTok, probably a um, more favourable one about the yes vote. Um, I am fully aware that Cutter has very controversial views, um, but he also has actually very progressive leftist views as well. And I think I only really realised that when I started watching his TikTok before then, um, yeah, I just used to see this dude in a hat talking about crocodiles, but now I see more. But TikTok serves as a proxy, but it's not the sole factor. In the previous federal election, the number of independent seats in the Australian House of Representatives surged by 75%. As media decentralises, our beliefs and opinions which shape our desired society also become diverse. I've included a chart um, in the Substack article, which basically shows how much um, media has fragmented, particularly in APAC. Um, we can see that overall, across all age groups, the amount of time spent on media is the same, but it's just chopped up into smaller pieces across different platforms. The platform that has the most, um, or the channel that has the most time spent is social media. But when you think about that, that people are probably using like four types of social media within that allotted time, which is around two hours average a day. The next um, most time spent is actually, I was looking at music streaming, which is pretty interesting. Um, but audio has had a huge rise, particularly from um, younger audiences. And then the third um, media platform with the most time spent is online TV. So your things like YouTube um, and your streaming services online. Um, So really interesting. The one that has the least amount of um, time spent is actually radio. Um, So analog radio has 57 minutes on average in APAC, which is super interesting. I thought it was going to be print, but print has an hour. So yeah, interesting. Um, Anyway, so I actually think that Rupert Murdoch is a Sith Lord and the empire that he ran is over. In his essay, Charlie Sheen is Winning, writer Brett Easton Ellis, who was the writer of American Psycho and Less Than Zero, I also read recently he released this book called The Shards. Um, I think that's the name. But the guy that made Call Me By Your Name, I can never say his name right, um, but he is directing the movie version of that, which will be pretty interesting all of um, the most recent Brett Easton Ellis books turned to movies have been an absolute flop. Um, nothing has really tipped like American Psycho has, but that might have just been because Kristen Bale was in it and he's quite a good actor. Um, but, yeah, interesting and I'm keen to see it. Anyway, um, in his essay, Charlie Sheen is Winning, 
writer Brett Easton Ellis highlights the link between media decentralization and the decentralization of political power. He argues that Sheen's embrace of a decentralized media and narrative represents a characteristic of a post-empire world. In this world, individuals unashamedly express their true selves and refuse to downplay their beliefs for the sake of others' comfort. This challenges the illusion of the idealized figures we aspire to be, like celebrities, politicians, athletes, and fashion designers who possess power and influence. In a society driven by consumerism and appearances, this post-media or this post-empire mindset disrupts the status quo and poses a problem for the established empire. Empire in this context refers to the keeping up of appearances, pretending that everything is fine even when it's not, and retreating from the public eye when faced with controversy until making a public apology and condemning yourself to the depths of Hades. So I've included in the article an actual sort of two-sided diagram of like empire and what is post-empire. So when we're talking empire, we're definitely talking Rupert Murdoch. That guy has such a strong hold on what he wants everyone to think. And so, yeah, obviously he owns pretty much all the media in the world, um, but he's very empire due to the fact that he doesn't, he tries to hide what he's actually doing. Um, and he also is very much like this glossy kind of one. Yeah. wants to keep this very glossy and conservative, conservative traditional way of thinking. And he does that through his media. Um, Kylie Jenner is empire. Um, even though she started off on social media where she, sort of had her own voice, um, she's become very empire now. The main reasons are that she also has this very glossy, sort of tightly controlled version of her image, even though she literally is dating that guy who's the father of her children, Travis Scott, um, and when he did Astro World, I think it was like maybe last year or the year before and all those people died, she kind of just like brushed it off. She also is very well known for flying her private jet like 10 minutes down the road. So, um, But she tries to keep it very tight-lipped and pretend that she's down to earth and cares about everyone. Um, but I think, yeah, clearly say she doesn't. Um, another person that is empire is the footballer Wayne Carey. This guy has fucked up so much and he should he really could have done a Charlie Sheen and been like, yeah, this is me. Um, but instead he pretends that he hasn't really done anything wrong or like the wrongs that he's done are like just a product of him being a guy that is lost and he's really sorry apparently. So he recently got found with um, a bag of cocaine. Um, I think it was at Crown Casino. It dropped out of his pocket while he was sitting on one of the gambling tables. But he said it was like a bag of digestive powder. Um, I don't know if anyone has compared a bag of cocaine with a with a bag of Metamucil Plus, but the two of them don't look the same. Um, he also glassed a woman in the face probably like five years ago. Nothing really happened. He also slept with his teammate's wife. He did come out and apologize about it, but kind of not in this way of like, yeah, it's what I did because I'm fucking scum. He did it in this way that was like, oh, I've let my team down and um, I'm really sorry. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> Can you tell I don't like Wayne Carey? Anyway, he's empire because um, he tries to keep a very tight lid around who he actually is when everybody knows he's scum. Another person that is empire is Madonna. Um, and we may think, oh, Madonna is like 
not empire because she's always trying to push the boundaries and she's um, always reinventing herself and she's very unapologetic. I would say yes, Madonna is very unapologetic and she has done a lot for um, how people view women in music. At the same time, though, Madonna seems very crafted in how she rocks the boat. I would say there's a team of probably 20 people around her that make the decisions for her about how to rock the boat. Everything is very shiny. Everything that she comes out in to, um, you know, switch it up is very manufactured. I remember when I was younger, she bought out that song Ray of Light and um, everyone frothed that song um, because she was kind of taking sort of nodes from the techno underground of Ireland and everyone loved it. I hated that song. I just thought she was so fake in the video and I still think she is now and I listen to that album now, Ray of Light, and she it's just basically her really crummy singing over really good um, dance producers. I think she got the guys from Underworld to produce that album. So, like, sonically it's a good album but then you have her really crummy voice over the top of it. Anyway, she's Empire. She's fake I think um another guy that is empire is Liam Hemsworth need we talk very much about this guy he yeah has dogged Miley a lot I think for a long time because Miley went off on her thing who she is post empire by the way everyone kind of thought that she was the crazy one and needed to calm down but it was actually Liam Hemsworth who was being the bigger dick he just wasn't going around like humping things on stage but he was still doing some really shady shit to Miley um but pretending that he was the good guy um and the Hemsworth themselves are just empire they're very very clean um and the final empire thing is Justin Timberlake um when he made the he basically wrote an apology on his notes app screenshotted it and posted it to Instagram and that is the most empire thing ever Justin Timberlake wrote this apology to Janet Jackson and Britney Spears a couple of years ago in his notes app um, and he posted it to Instagram but basically it was talking about how he acknowledges that he has profited and exploited um, both of the situations that happened with those two women so with Britney Spears basically they were in a relationship and then they broke up and she kind her career kind of took a a left turn because it came out that she wasn't a virgin anymore because she'd slept with Justin Timberlake and everyone was like her image is broken she's not this clean cut pop star anymore and the way that her career manifested I don't know I guess we all saw how it went down but Justin Timberlake he was doing interviews where he was slut shaming Britney Spears um he was talking about you know how she's not a virgin anymore just being a total dirtbag his career skyrocketed he released two albums after that that have yeah they reached number one he did global tours he became this massive superstar um but while he was on those worldwide tours he was just canning Britney and meanwhile she was like having a very public meltdown um so yeah Justin Timberlake and his fucking notes up is empire um what is post-Empire? Obviously, WAP by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion is post-Empire as um, just the way that they are, who they are, the performances that they did where they were very like, hyper-sexualized, the way they took back ownership of um, female sexual pleasure um, and obviously that song was about you and they just didn't care. Like the song itself is really, really graphic but, um, yeah, they don't care and they both of them just are who they are. 
The other person that's post-Empire is Martha Kaflidis from um, Maths. I'm not a massive fan of hers, but I do appreciate how she kind of just is who she is. She was called the Kmart Kim Kardashian for a long time, and I think she still is, but she basically went on the show and was just herself. She The, the scene where she throws red wine on, I think it's Cyril, and um, she just gives no fucks about it because she doesn't want Cyril to be such a psycho towards her anymore. Even now how she's created her own sort of influencer empire, um, she will take any kind of, I guess, brand offer it is, there is apparently. Like every time I go and check up on her, there's always a new brand that she's attached to. But um, the girl's just trying to hustle and she knows how to do it and she's just being herself while she's doing it. Um, Frank Ocean at Coachella and then, um, dropping out of Coachella is very post-Empire. I think he got paid like $4 million for the first weekend and then he was meant to get another $4 million for the next one. But he was an hour late and so he only ended up playing for like 45 minutes, I think. He came on stage with a hoodie. No one could really see him and then he'd remixed all his songs so they weren't really – I guess if you went there as a Frank Ocean fan, not having seen him play live for like seven years – um, and you wanted to listen to all those songs, he'd chop them up and remix them so much that they didn't even really sound like the songs anymore. Um, I thought the remixes were actually better than the original releases. But, um, yeah, I guess if you pay that much to go to Coachella just to see him and that happens, um, you'd be pretty disappointed. But anyway, everyone complained and then he was like, fuck it, I'm dropping out. So he bailed on the second weekend. Um, but it's also a very Frank Ocean thing to do. He's very post-Empire just because he just doesn't care what people say about him and he constantly is just trying to get away from the noise um, of the media. Uh, who else is post-Empire? Uh, Ruben Kay on The Project. At the start of the year, The Project had to apologise to Christian and Catholic people around Australia because Ruben Kay went on and made a really funny joke about um, Jesus being gay it was around the Mardi Gras. I can't remember the actual joke, but it was really, really funny. But he went on there and he was just like, I don't care. I know who um, I know who the owner of this network is. I know that conservative audiences probably watch this show. And so he just went on and said this joke and it was hilarious. Um, but, yeah, huge controversy. Another post-Empire person is Lil Nas X, especially Lil Nas X in the video Montero where he's giving a lap dance to Satan. This is where Lil Nas X had come out with a bang um he was previously known for old town road but then he bought this out and it felt like in the two years between old town road and montero he had like gone to some club in berlin for two months and just like fully found himself and just came out with this song and it was super comfort um super controversial when it came out but he didn't care the way that he the marketing around it um he sold these fake Nike shoes with fake Satan's blood in it um so he's very post-empire just does not care and then the final very obvious and my favorite post-empire is Rihanna but especially maternity wear Rihanna where she has her belly out all the time She's wearing like lingerie most of the time when she's out because um, she has to go to all these premieres and stuff while she's pregnant. But she's just showing that baby belly and it's something that's very taboo in society to have your bare baby belly out, even though it's quite a beautiful thing that women can hold children like that. Um, 
So she's out there and she's got that belly out and she's like, I don't fucking care what any of you say. This is something that now needs to be recognized. So, um, yeah, that's sort of how we would define post-empire and empire um, using some of the context from today. But ultimately empire is shattered. The glass dome that held it all together has been cracked open, fragmented across tiny pieces of the day in our pockets with millions of people around the world creating and sharing content that reaffirms their own perspective. Hegemonic thought is decaying, but what grows in its place has two sides, conspiracy theories and social justice. (laughs) Sorry. Um, So what happens now? Do we keep the momentum of the past decade of chaos or do we acknowledge that that traditional communication methods need to be replaced by smaller community-owned channels that hold future value? This shift would then acknowledge the power of decentralised platforms and the importance of engaging with diverse and localised communities. I don't think Empire is really into that. In the age of fragmentation, empire will not prevail. Communities in microcultures will. People are now seeking out and very actively seeking out groups with individuals who share their interests to form friendships and shape their way of life. This trend, although diverse, can lead to both positive and negative outcomes. But one thing I did want to point out was on Discord in particular, all of those chats or communities that people are in are based around an interest. So I'm in one, for example, which is about cinematography. And all you do is talk about cinematography and films that have good cinematography in them, what kind of cameras people use, what kind of lighting people use. It's very, very just, it's almost like a forum in a sense, but then people have um, other side chats going on, which is more about like, I don't know what they did on the weekend, but you kind of know that you'll get along with that person because they're really into this same niche interest that you are. I'm also in another one called Woodsboro High Murders um, and it's just all these Scream fans and, yeah, same thing. You talk about Scream, the movies, but then there's also all these side chats going where you just get along around like what kind of music you listen to. But, again, you know that you'll kind of have the similar interest with these people because they are all wrapped around this niche interest you have as well. Um, So that's sort of the way that the world is going. But for instance, like Swifties successfully lobbied for better governance over ticket sculpting and the city of Melbourne responded to their concerns. So they did that through social media. There's a lot of Swifty community groups out there that were able to lobby in this way. But on the other hand, you have conservative individuals in the US who have been causing disruptions at Target stores, leading the company to attract their support for pride displays. They're very homophobic and transphobic uh, way of being, I guess, um, all sort of came together on the internet through their own communities. So you can see that there's a very good and a very bad side of um, this community-led kind of post-empire world that we're heading into. So this shift towards microcultures brings peace and complexity to society, especially for those who can't seem to wrap their heads around the benefits of diversity, both socially and economically. While the entrenchment of microcultures may pose some challenges, it is no more problematic than the dominance of empire. Here in Australia, we're about to enter a referendum that starts to abolish empire, course-correct colonisation and eventually decentralise power. Our First Nations people will have a voice and they will take control of their narrative from traditional media, which I believe is a mouthpiece for white imperialism. They will undermine the centralised power of information. This is progress enabled by 
post-Empire. Um, so that is the end of my article and podcast for today, um, which is called If It Bleeds, It Reads, and it talks about how, well, it starts off talking about how Charlie Sheen's Twitter meltdown kind of paved the way for unapologetic voices and our addiction to watching meltdowns and traumatic events unfold in 24-hour real time. Um, I hope you enjoyed, and um, yes, I guess I will chat to you guys another time. Goodbye.